Um, so there's a, this topic that I begin to began to investigate a few months ago and, and talked about, and I want to invite you to be a part of this investigation. And the topic I'm I'm looking at is is how to live with an undefended heart. I we have an intention setting ceremony here every New Year's Eve, and a year ago. My intention was to live a live with an undefended heart, and I don't generally think of these things beforehand. I just let them arise spontaneously during the evening, and I comment. So a couple of people commented on it, and a few months ago, someone asked me if I would do a Dharma talk on what that means, and I thought about it. I said, okay sounds like a good one and I thought about it for a number of months and then last month I said okay let's start talking about this and I want to invite you to um, be participants in this too because I don't claim to have all the answers I only know how my heart has uh, what my heart looks like when it's defended and what it looks like when it's less defended and what may be true for me may not be true for everyone else so I invite you to um, ask questions or um, bring some ideas to the table so maybe we can see what it looks like I think to determine how to live with an undefended heart you have to know what a defended heart is like. Does anybody, everybody kind of relate to that term or that phrase, undefended heart? Uh, I, for me, a defended heart shows up with fear, judgment, anger, any of those walls we build that keep us um, from each other. For me, uh, living with a defended heart meant keeping my mouth shut and sticking my head in the ground. Because if I hide, if you can't see me, if I can't see you, then you can't see me, and I'm safe. And I, you know, there's the um, the uh, the brain, the three real basic brain. Uh, rea- I don't know if they're brain reactions, but the reactions to stimulus: fight, flight, or freeze. I'm a freezer and a fleer. So that's what I do. And I think this this defense that we build up is part of how we show up to these outside stimuli. Each of us in this room was born. Each of us, as soon as we were born, began to experience life coming at us. It was Each of us has a different story, but each of us started experiencing things whatever it was, some of us had really difficult childhoods, really difficult, hard circumstances. Some of us had more pleasant, more nurturing circumstances, but we each had our own circumstances to deal with, and we started building or started um, coming up with solutions to what was coming at us to make sure we were okay, because we have a tendency to go towards what's pleasing and go away from what's displeasing. 
And that's what we, we begin to see that in meditation. And if you're familiar with the second foundation of mindfulness, it's beginning to learn how you experience your, uh, what, ha- what comes to you through your senses. Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Or is it neutral? And generally when it's pleasant, we want more. And if it's unpleasant, we want less. And what do we have to do to not have the pleasant, unpleasant stuff? And how do we get more of the pleasant stuff? This stuff is working in us from, from this age. You know, some of you have children in here, and I'm sure you can see those things in, in their reactions. Um, no, more, more that, less of that. More pleasant, less of the unpleasant. So that's how we start building up these defenses. That's how these walls start building around us. And we each develop our own walls depending on our circumstances. And they become so ingrained in us at such a very early age that by the time we're adults, by the time we're whatever age you are, they're almost subconscious. We don't even know how we react to things. We don't even know how those walls are. How, how those walls are uh, installed or what they look like or how thick they are. But I know for me, they, they show up and I know they're there when I have that sense of disconnection, that sense of unease, that sense of being separate from. The, uh, it's a, it's a, can it almost be considered that one of the definitions of dukkha? The dukkha is... Uh, generally translated as suffering. Tanasara Bhikkhu, a monk uh, out of San Diego, describes, translates dukkha as stress. Anybody in this room ever have stress? <laughs> a little bit. No. Yeah. No. Never. Good. <laughs> but, but what's funny about that, when you say no, never, I will say, I don't have stress. I will, I will like pick that word and say, oh, I don't have stress in my life, or I don't have suffering. Suffering's a big word, you know. Those people over there, you know, have suffering. I don't have suffering. I have maybe discontent. What I, you know, dukkha is actually um, that word is actually uh, means. Um, I think it's like it's a, a wheel that's off its axle, so it's just kind of off kilter. It's that shopping cart you get in the supermarket that wants to go this way when you want to go the other way that's kind of what a lot of our our discomfort is like it's that sense of disconnection and that sense of things just not being right that not being able to connect to a really deep in a deep and meaningful way maybe maybe not so much intimacy intimacy with others because we still have those those walls up those defenses of our heart that keep us separate from each other. So when it starts causing some, you know, kind of, I don't even know what's wrong, but something's going on. And in fact, a lot of times you think about, if you even ask yourself, well, why did you come to meditation? What, what is it that brought you to this room? What is it that brought you to this practice? I mean, thinking it's a lot of times, a lot of times it's people, people say they want to, they are stressed out and they want to find some bliss and they want to find some calm and they want to find some, um, 
you know, some 30 minutes of checking out. But what happens, especially in this practice, is when you sit down, you learn that you don't necessarily get to check out. You get to turn and face what's going on. You probably had a lot of you experience that during the meditation tonight. You want to go to bliss land, but what happens is that stuff shows up and starts the, those 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 thoughts about, I can't believe we had that argument yesterday. I can't believe I said that, or I'm so worried about what's going to happen tomorrow, or any number of things that are just kind of churning around in there that show up when the eyes are closed and it's quiet. That's that. Um, that fear that shows up, that concern, that worry, that judgment. And all those things are signs of, of defenses of the heart. We're trying to protect ourselves. Does this make sense? Yeah. This is what, for me, I know when I am, if not, it's not even necessarily in a meditative state. I have a tendency to have conversations with people who are not present. Anybody else do that? You're driving along and you're talking to them and you're alone in the car. I have, <laughs> it was a while ago, when my hair was a little longer, I had, uh, I was, it was in my, it was in the bathroom in the morning getting ready. I took my shower and I was, um, was had uh, some product I was going to put in my hair to keep it from flying away. And I put it on my face <laughs> because I was having a conversation with someone because I needed them to understand my point of view. They were not even in the same city. They, I don't even know if I was going to see them that day, but all of a sudden I went, ah, and I realized I was nowhere near the present moment, but what I was doing was defending myself against something that might happen because I was afraid of what it might feel like if that did happen or if they thought of me in a certain way. I needed to make sure they knew I was good at what I was doing. Because if they, if they didn't think I was good at what I was doing, they may not think I was worthwhile. Or they might not think that I was um, worthy of inviting to a party or inviting along for a ride or whatever that particular moment was. But when I'm not in the present moment and I'm in the future or I'm in the past and I'm having conversations with people or replaying scenarios. I don't know if how many of you do that. <laughs> Replay scenarios, or you know, and what you're doing, what I'm doing there is trying to change the past. Do you ever replay the past, to replay the scenario, and change what you said or change what they said, and then it turns out okay? <laughs> what that is, it's we're trying to protect our heart. In, in really convoluted ways because what's happening in this present moment, a thought will pass by and the, the memory of that conversation will pass by and what will happen is this uncomfortable sensation will arise or we'll have a memory of someone who passed away that we love deeply and this feeling of grief will arise. And we're not comfortable with those unpleasant feelings. Because grief is not a pleasant feeling. Sadness is not a pleasant feeling. So what we immediately do 
is kick into how do I get rid of that feeling? If it was around an unpleasant, or it was an argument, I'm going to replay the argument and change the words, trying to get rid of this discomfort that I'm feeling today. Or if I have a thought about what might happen tomorrow, my fear brings up these unpleasant feelings. You have butterflies in your stomach, or your stomach is in knots or churning. That's, that's me being somewhere else a lot of time. I'm, I'm, I've got the fear going on about what might happen tomorrow. And all that stuff is the defense of our heart. It's, I need to protect myself at all costs. I'm going to spend all this time and energy trying to figure stuff out to make sure I'm okay and I'm taken care of. Really, um, takes up a lot of time. And sometimes it causes more suffering. And this... This goes to what the Buddha taught about the nature of our suffering is our craving for things to be pleasant all the time and our unwillingness to experience unpleasant things, unpleasant feelings. Um, The problem is that life isn't always pleasant. There is discomfort, there is pain, there is loss, there is sadness. And we do all we can not to feel it. And, and living with an undefended heart means being willing to see how we do defend ourselves. How I run away and hide. I mean, I have spent hours and hours contemplating taking out, you know, cashing in my 401k and moving to New York City and trying to figure out how long I can live in a teeny little apartment where no one will find me. Because that seems like the best idea at the time because I'm so afraid of, oh my God, I made a mistake. I mean, that's that I spend a lot of time, well, I, not so much anymore, but I used to spend a long time trying to coming up with these scenarios to protect myself from pain. When in reality, being open to what is in this moment is so liberating. It's incredibly liberating. So, meditation is the Meditation is the tool we practice here to begin to see what our defenses are. So we begin to see how we block ourselves, what the walls are made of, how we built those walls, and begin to start dissolving them when we start recognizing how we show up and how we chase, chase pleasure and push away pain. There's a, there's a lot that's been written about this. There's a lot of things we do. Um, uh, Jack Cornfield has a book, uh, pa- A Path... You know which one I mean. A Path with Heart. I think that's the name of it. That is the name of it. A Path with Heart. And he talks about the demons on the path. You know, and, and recognizing them. It's really important to recognize how we, we defend ourselves. Are we judgmental? Are we um, critical? What do we do? Comparing mind. Uh, Martine Batchelor also has a book called Let Go, 
which is about letting go of the addictions of the mind. And she lists numerous uh, types of ways we defend ourselves. Outside of the Buddhist realm, there's a, a woman named Brene Brown. I don't know if um, many of you are familiar with her, but she's done a couple of TED Talks on vulnerability. Uh, she's amazing. I recommend her highly if you've not seen her. And she ha- I'm, reading, I'm currently reading her latest book called Daring Greatly about how to live wholeheartedly. And I think wholeheartedly means with an undefended heart as much as you can, recognizing that we are human and we do want to take care of ourselves, but we also want to be a part of the stream of life. And when we, when we shut ourselves off behind these walls, not only do we shut off the pain, but we shut off the joy. Because you can't pick and choose. You can't pick, I want the, the good stuff and not the bad stuff. It's kind of an all or nothing scenario. So in her book, she talks about some different ways we armor ourselves, and I, they're they're great. I, I just I, I pulled out a couple of them. One of them is foreboding joy. That's when something good happens, and you immediately start waiting for the other shoe to drop. You defend yourself against the good stuff. You can't even let, that's what I'm talking about, you can't even let the good stuff in. Anybody ever do that? Yeah, this is good, it's not going to last. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not going to last, but, but shift the way you uh, experience it so that it's like, yeah, it's not going to last, so let me enjoy it while it's here. Instead of being in that fear of it's going to go away, it's going to go away, it's going to go away. I used to miss out on all the good stuff because I was always worried about when it was going to end. When, uh, I, when, when I was a kid, I remember distinctly we were going to go to an amusement park on Saturday. And so all week long I'm like, oh, five Saturdays, is it Saturday? Yeah, five days, four days, three days, two days, Saturday. Oh, I couldn't sleep the night before. I was so excited. I love amusement parks. I love roller coasters. And Saturday morning it's like, oh, yay. And we take the bus over there and we're there. And as soon as we get there, I get in and I'm like, five hours and it's going to be over. <laughs> And I missed the whole day because I was like, oh, only four hours left. And I was depressed the entire time I was at the amusement park. And I missed out. And then it was like, oh, it was over. And I don't know if I experienced any joy in it because I was nowhere near the present moment. The present moment was always somewhere else. It's a, so... Staying in the present moment, both with the joy and with the discomfort. And with the discomfort, because that's the way it is right now. Another way we shield ourselves is with perfectionism. Any perfectionists here? Yeah? A few. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Because I think it's that idea is if I get it perfect, then I'll be okay. Then I, then I won't have to worry. That's the perfect defense against any hurt. If I'm perfect, they cannot touch me. Nobody can get in. Nobody can get in. And that's a problem if you're perfect. Do you really want to hang around with perfect people? Not so much. I want, yeah. Messy. Messy is good. Um, numbing. Numbing is a very popular way to defend ourselves. 
not just alcohol and drugs and sugar and sex and gambling and shopping and any of those myriad things. We can find all kinds of ways of numbing ourselves. I remember years ago, I went, I kind of, at the end of the day, I went, how did I just spend eight hours playing solitaire? (laughs) Anybody? Yeah. It was amazing. And I had to stop and go, okay, what am I not looking at? What's going on here? These are defense mechanisms. How are you, do you numb yourself? You know, how do you numb yourself? Um, you know, and, and she has a number other of other ways that she talks about it. So, really, really interesting. You know, um, I found a line, or maybe I wrote, maybe I wrote this myself. I don't know, because <laughs> I don't have a reference to it, so I'll, I'll own it. Um, but it says, it said, delusion in the mind causes us to think we need armor. We're deluded, thinking that it needs to be a certain way for us to be okay. And I kind of, and I kind of, kind of spoke to that at the beginning of the meditation. Allow your meditation to be whatever it is. It doesn't have to be blissful to be right. Your mind doesn't have to be quiet for it to be what it's supposed to be. It just is. We get stuck in thinking that if I had done something differently, it would be better. It hurts now, and I don't want to hurt, so I shoulda. Shoulda. And we should all over ourselves. And that's, we create our own suffering. We create our own discomfort. It's really painful to live in that place. And so when we think we're defending ourselves, we're really causing us our own discomfort. Part of living with an undefended heart is truly knowing that everyone experiences this. Everyone was born. Everyone had life thrust at them from the get-go. And everyone came up with ways of dealing with it. Some more skillful, some less skillful. Some things we deal with skillfully, some things not so skillfully. But there was no magic bullet. There was no rule book that anybody that we didn't get. We were absent that day. You know, there's no magic thing. It's we're just trying to stumble along, taking care of ourselves the best we can. And sometimes we built these walls that don't serve anymore. So the practice now is to take those walls down, all of us. We all have the human condition. That was such a horrible phrase when I first heard it, that I had the human condition, that I, I got, my life was messy. And it is messy. And it's messy because I'm, because I'm a human being, not because it did anything wrong. And the Buddha said, there is pain, there is birth, there is aging, there is sickness, there is death. You have a body, it's going to hurt. 
people, everyone you know will be taken from you. Everyone. You know, the five remembrances. We're of, a, we're of the nature to grow old and get sick and die. And everyone we know and everyone we love will go away and all we have are our actions. That sounds really harsh, but it's true. And when we learn to embrace humanity, our own humanity, and be willing to step into it fully and wholeheartedly, then those walls begin to dissolve. Then we begin to live with an open heart. And I think I read, uh, Gil Fransdell wrote a line, he's a teacher up north, and he wrote, the perfection of wisdom is when the heart and the mind neither cling to nor resist anything. It's the perfection of wisdom when the heart and the mind neither cling to nor resist anything. That's living with an undefended heart. We're not craving. There's no craving and there's no aversion. That's true liberation. That's true freedom. When we're able to let go and recognize that our craving makes us think it should be some way other than what it is. It needs to be that way in order to me to be happy. Instead of recognizing that it can only be what it is right now. Can I greet it wisely with compassion for pain or joy for happiness? You know, um, I, uh, a friend of mine, some of you know her. I told her I was going to use her quote, her Sarit. She had a, a posting on Facebook today about something, and, uh, and I thought it was so apropos for this. She wrote, uh, it takes courage to walk in this world with an open heart. It takes courage to love those who anger and frustrate us. It takes courage to love with intent. It takes courage to love ourselves when we feel like shit. It takes courage to accept who we are as we are with open hearts and minds. We are human. We fall. But we can rise up with love and action and change one breath at a time in deep gratitude right now and always. Sometimes Facebook is good. (laughs) So... It's only the tip of the iceberg, I think, this exploration of this topic. I think it's really rich, and I think it's really deep, and I think it's really worthwhile. I think it's uh, important to... And I also know that it can be very terrifying, because when I talked about this with some people, they said it was a terrifying idea to to walk forth with... um, an undefended heart because we have all been wounded every single one of us in this room has been wounded 
some very, very deeply, some not so deeply, but that doesn't mitigate uh, our wounds. Joseph Goldstein said that there are no hierarchies of compassion, which means that someone's pain is not more worthy of compassion than someone else's pain. Pain is pain. And your pain is real and your pain is true. And learning to sit with it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of intention. And I believe this path that the Buddha has laid out, this way to live with intention and integrity and without causing harm, is really uh, a wonderful place to land and a wonderful path to follow. It's been, um, it's been a, a lovely net for me to fall into when I've been walking through this and chipping away at the armor. <laughs> and then sometimes I think the walls are gone and then there they are again so I don't, I'm not done yet okay. which is okay um, I think I need to stop now but I want to leave you with uh, a couple of questions I was going to break into dyads I always plan this and it never happens when I teach but I, I want you to take these two questions home with you and, and think about them because I think it's worthwhile how do you defend your heart how do you defend your heart you know John was saying he, he's the anger guy I'm the runner awayer what does it look like for you you know are you sarcastic um, what, how does it show up how do you defend your heart and how can you live with an undefended heart it's not that there's answers that you're going to come up with with these questions, but I think it's one of those things that it's really good to investigate because it's, it, there's so much freedom to living with an undefended heart. So much freedom. So thank you.